listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Marvel's Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, passed the $400 million mark in the box office in just six days, less than a week. By the end of today, it's estimated that it'd be well over a half a billion, 550 or so million dollars that would have come in globally in the box office regardless of the mixed reviews, it's safe to say that as a people on the earth, we love to see it. It's safe to say we love to see it. What is it about superhero movies that seem to always catapult them to the top of the box office? Every time there's a Marvel or a DC Uh, It catapults them at every single release. It's like you can just set your watch by it. I think it's in our human nature to want to be stunned, to want to be captivated. It's in our human nature to want to be amazed because we have something built in us that begs to be captivated by the miraculous. God knows that we are this way because he created us and he created us this way The God of the universe made us to wonder. He made us to be in awe of something that is so much bigger than us and is outside of us. Acts chapter 3 is a good reminder that though we find sensation in everything else, God is pleased always to meet us right where we are. If you look at Acts chapter 3 with me, you see that God knows that we love a good miracle. God knows that we love a good story. And so he performs yet another miracle right after the birth of the church through the apostles, Peter and John. And it sets the stage for yet another gospel message. Let's read Acts chapter three, verses one down to 11. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms. Other translations would say to beg for alms of those who were entering the temple. Verse number three, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up. He stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. 
at what had happened to him. Verse number 11 says, while he clung to Peter and John, another translation says, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico that was called Solomon's. This account is one of the clearest accounts of the power of the Holy Spirit and the continuation of the ministry of Jesus being at work through the apostles after Pentecost. This is the second miracle. The first miracle, the apostles did not perform. God did that. This time, Peter said, silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have, he had a confidence. He knew that he had something better than the change that the man was begging for. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of, of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Did he not? This is the second miracle. Second gathering of a large crowd, which would lead to the second opportunity that Peter had to preach to the people gathered in Jerusalem. Acts 3 is detailing for us that God enabled the uh, apostles or he empowered them through the Holy Spirit. And it's detailing for us the first miracle that God actually did through the apostles that uh, they themselves would actually see that power flow through them. And Peter and John were going up to the temple for what would have been the three o'clock prayer service. It says that they were going up, right? And what does it say? It says for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon in one translation, another uh, translation talks about the ninth hour. The idea is that this would have been every day. There's prayer at 9 a.m., there's prayer at 12 noon, and then there's prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And just because they had uh, you know, been converted to this new way of salvation did not mean that they stopped what they had been committed to, which was going to the temple every day for prayer. And so here they are on their way. And when they came across the man that they see all the time at the beautiful gate, they came across him. He's crippled. He's crippled from birth. Everybody knows that about him. And as the story goes, he's there, just as always, asking for a handout. And Peter offers him and gives him healing in Jesus' name. He reached out to him, right? Pulled him up to his feet. And instantly God strengthened this man's feet and his ankles so that he could walk. And not only did he walk, the Bible says he started jumping for joy. You guys saw that? You imagine the situation. Here you have a man that we find out when you get to Acts chapter 4, verse 22. You might turn there right now and see it for yourself. The Bible says he was more than 40 years old. And the reason why, that's us, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> the reason why... People would even know something like that is because this man was so common. He's always sitting outside of the temple. They always go to pray. This wasn't like this person that just popped up on the scene out of nowhere. A few things we know to have been common knowledge. It was common knowledge that this man had been crippled since his birth. Everybody knew it. It was common knowledge that he had been carried there. Everybody knew that he could not get there on his own. It was common for him to be at the temple gate whenever anyone entered in to have service. He was always outside. And it was common for him to be out there begging for change, right? Alms for the poor, alms for the poor. He's just standing out there trying to get a little bit of help. What we need to see is that everyone who knew who he was and how he got there and why he was there also saw transformation happen. 
for a man that everyone in Jerusalem knows to be crippled and lame, to spring up and to walk and to leap for joy and to be found praising God. And now he's walking around. He's dancing around, I imagine, right? That's no small thing. Even to the naked eye, that's like a huge thing. This was amazing. This was more than a marvel. This was a sign. This is so much bigger than our best blockbuster movie. It's so much more significant. If you think there's fanfare that surrounds T'Challa's funeral, think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is now affecting all these people. The power that is coming through the apostles and the world has changed. Just imagine what it'd be like. In fact, we don't have to use our imagination. If you just go back and scan over that text, the scene is captured very vividly for us. The picture is painted so uh, beautifully. It says all the people saw him in verse number nine. Then it says they were filled with wonder and amazement in verse number 10. That Greek word for wonder is a, a word, thambos. It kind of sounds like thanos, right? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's thambos. And what it means to be stunned. And in the Greek word for amazement is ecstasis, which sounds like what? Ecstasy. It's this idea of being displaced in your mind and, and put in a trance. So everybody is filled with wonder and amazement by, by verse 10. And in verse 11, it says all the people are utterly astonished, utterly astounded. And they ran to him. And that idea of utterly astounded is actually just taking thambos and ecstasis and putting them together to a new word, ek thambos to marvel greatly. All the people's minds are just blown away at what's happening before them. It's pandemonium. I want us to come back to the scene a bit ne more next week, but this week I want us to actually not miss the sign itself and some things that we can learn from it, right? Consider a few things from the healing of the lame beggar at the temple. Number one, this was a sign that confirmed that Jesus really was the Christ, that the one who had been crucified and died and buried and had this report going around that he had been resurrected and ascended to heaven was truly the Messiah who had been promised. You know why I say that? Because for those Jewish followers who knew their Hebrew scriptures, they would have seen this as a fulfillment of a promise about the Messiah. Let me read something to you. Isaiah chapter 35, verses four to six. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the retribution of God. He will come and he will save you. Verse five, and then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame man will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy isaiah 35 verses 4 to 6. then the lame man will leap like a deer we should recall that in matthew chapter 11 when john the baptist was losing his faith he was deconstructing way before any of us were doing that john the baptist is on death row and he's like i gave my whole life to this and now here i am and they want my head on a platter in matthew chapter 11 he sent word by the disciples and said, Jesus of Nazareth, are you the Christ or should we look for another? That's deconstruction if I've ever heard of it, right? 
He was convinced. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is where he started. And now at the end of his life, he's like, are you really the Christ or should we look for somebody else? What did Jesus say in order to confirm that he was the Messiah? I'll read it to you. Matthew 11. Verse number four, Jesus answered, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, right? Jesus had even said the confirmation that I am the Messiah is that the power of God is on display by making people whole with the touch of a hand. And now the Holy Spirit is doing this through the apostles. What was prophesied before was now fulfilled in the Christ and through his spirit. I think it's no small thing or no surprise then that Peter would actually launch into a sermon after that moment. I mean, again, Isaiah 35 is just right there, right? Jesus has talked about this. It's just plain to see. The second thing that we can learn from those first 11 verses is that the lame man in our text is really a sign for all of us. We are all helpless and broke spiritually. Some of us physically. <laughs> Remember, we talked about the beggarly poor when we looked at Matthew chapter five and we talked about what it means to be blessed. The beggarly poor, those who are destitute, they have no resources to provide for themselves and therefore they have to beg. This lame brother right here laying out at the gate, he's one of them. He's absolutely one of them. But this is a picture of humanity apart from Christ. Need I remind us all this spiritually, you and I are bankrupt. We're crippled and disabled and we have no ability to bring ourselves to Christ. We have to be carried to him. This man was helpless because of his condition. He couldn't do anything for himself. Our only hope, just like his, is God. Because what? Sin disables us. And it keeps us from coming to Jesus. We, like this man, would never get to Jesus on our own. So often, guess what we do? We rely on religion and relationships. Hey, carry me out to the gate at service time. <laughs> friends, he, he, he doesn't go to God, right? He's looking for his friends to do something for him. And he's not saying, take me to Disneyland. He said, take me to the temple. We rely on religion and relationships. We think our parents or our spouse can bring us to church and therefore bring us to God. We think that if our spouse or our parents carry us with them in their faith, then we're good. We think going to the building and checking off a box means that we've actually done the thing. None of these things could deliver him and none of these things will ever deliver us either. This man was hopeless as well. Not just helpless, he was hopeless because of his condition. Look at how he's described. He's a lame beggar. That means he has nothing and he can't do anything for himself. It's painfully obvious from our text that he not only has nothing, he actually doesn't expect anything either. It wasn't until Peter, in verse number four, has to raise his voice at him, look squarely at him and say, look at us. Can you just imagine? He's got so much shame and he's been begging for 40 years. He's crippled. He can't walk. He just got to the point where he just is alms for the poor, alms for the poor. He doesn't even look up because he's ashamed. And he also has no expectation that anybody's going to do anything. I mean, I was using my sanctified imagination this week. Jesus has walked by before, y'all. Jesus came to the temple. He's seen him. The apostles been there before. 
prophets, the, the priests, they all, they've seen him all the time and he had never had nothing. Then Jesus came and he died. It's like, huh, well, you know, they were saying he was the Christ, but he's been crucified. Now I heard that he's been resurrected, but I ain't been able to go nowhere and see nothing about it. Think about it. This man in his own self has been like struggling and he's been discouraged so much that even when people are there to help him, he won't even make eye contact. Isn't that a picture of so many of us? And honestly, it's a picture of those of us who uh, we don't even know it, but God is working in our lives. <laughs> so many people who actually come to God and come to faith and come to salvation start this way. I, I, I would humbly say it's more of these individuals than it is the ones who just say like, oh, you know, God, man, God bless God for saving me. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad God saved me because he's lucky now heaven's going to be great. No, it's those who are, man, they see themselves as the beggarly poor in need of so much grace. Come to God. Maybe you get brought to church looking for a spouse, looking for a handout, looking for some friends, looking for a community. God actually wants to heal you. And God does radically so much more than what you could ever imagine. The last thing I want us to see before we talk and have our discussion is that salvation by grace is such a generous gift. If you look at what happens with this man and you see God heal him and also give to him the salvation that he does not deserve, you realize, man, that's so generous of God. And not only that, like God always gives us more than we could imagine and more than we expect. What a beautiful thing. There he was begging for change. And before he knew it, God changed him. But what about the crowds? What did they rush to see? Why were they running there? What, what, what were they looking for? Why did they rush to see him? What were they looking for? What were they marveling at? The truth is, people come to church looking for all those things I said. A spouse, come looking for a financial breakthrough, come looking for an experience. And out of his great love, God gives them the miracle of new life and changes everything about them. That happened to me, it happened to us. We come broke and empty-handed Ephesians chapter 2 says, but God being rich in mercy, praise the Lord, Amen. because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we know. Black Panther 2 has been met with all kinds of mixed reviews. It's hard not to feel some type of way after Chadwick Boseman, the Black Panther's death. He was the hero of the story. It's all about him. And now he's no more. But such is every modern Marvel. Think about it. It could be a movie. It could be theme parks. You name it. The things we wonder at today, we wonder about tomorrow. All good things, they have an end. But not so with the Lord Jesus Christ. His death was just the beginning. Think of that. Three days later, he rose with all power and authority in his hands, and he sent his disciples into the world to announce his rule and his reign and that his kingdom is unstoppable. And not only do they declare that in their announcement, but they demonstrate it. This is such good news for a lame beggar like me. <laughs> 
Because here we are, 2,000 years removed, and God is still reaching down in through all of the darkness and shedding light, opening up our eyes and saving us. If there was a final thing that I wanted us to learn from this event, it would be that salvation fills us with contagious joy. Look back at the person who had been healed. You have to love the way that Luke describes him to us. It says that he was walking and leaping and praising God. His friends have been bringing him to the gate for years. It's safe to say, like I said, that Peter and John saw him plenty of times, that many people, everyone, they had saw him so many times, but never in his wildest dreams would he have imagined the scene that would have been set for him that day? I mean, he's never garnered this much attention. Let alone has he ever been healed. He's never walked. So he's jumping just like I would be. You never walk, but now you can get, I'm not just going to walk. I'm running, right? Doing all kinds of stuff. Salvation takes us by total surprise. And when it does, it gives us this contagious joy. This kind of transformation also takes those around us by surprise. Everyone who knew about that man's pitiful state ran over to see what in the world just happened. Right? They were all amazed. The joy that comes from being saved should open up opportunities to tell others the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save poor, pitiful sinners like you and I. That's why I say it's contagious joy. If you're looking for a big idea, here's a big idea. Healing in Jesus' name is a miraculous gift. And those who encounter this salvation experience contagious joy, leading others to marvel at the power of God. I think hearing this story, we could talk more. We've had great dialogue. But I want us to also just think on at least three questions as we finish this story should make each of us ask these three questions. Have I been touched by God's spirit and healed in Jesus name? Have I been touched by God's spirit and healed in Jesus name? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> if I have, does the joy in my life reflect the healing that has come to my soul. Why are you asking me? Oh, yeah. I love it, I love it, I love it. I don't know the answer. It's so good. Does the joy in my life reflect the healing that God has done for my soul? Last question. Are others drawn in by that joy, the joy in my new life, opening up opportunities for me to give them the good.